since my mid-20s, and as uh, Mr. Williams pointed out, I'm a little older than that now, uh, in his backhanded way, uh, I loved the expression, the glory of God. He has various expressions that sort of grab hold of us, and that expression, I've always loved that expression, and for me at least, it summarized the majesty of the triune God, the glory of God. I remember when I was in seminary uh, in the 80s, uh, you'd have various people from around the world coming and they'd speak in chapel and when Welsh or Scottish or Irish uh, gentlemen would be in our pulpit and I remember especially one, he had a whole sermon on the glory of God and they would roll the R's depending on where you were in Britain, the glory I can't do it well, but the glory of God. Um, I just enjoyed that expression. Now, the better one understands God's glory has a lot of implications. One is it gives you confidence that in your properly thinking about God, feeling, doing, the various things you do in life for the Lord... No matter what the culture says, the higher your view of the glory of God, the more you have confidence that even if they think I'm nutty, I'm going to think, feel, do things for the Lord. Now, of course, due to sin, we don't do that perfectly. There was a famous theologian named Warfield living about 100 years ago, and he was talking about Christianity, and then he was talking about various groups within Christianity, and he got down to Calvinists or Presbyterians or, in essence, ARPs, uh, theology of. And he said, and I'm going to read a little bit of a quote here, uh, what's sort of the heart of Calvinism? What's the heart of Presbyterianism? He said, it lies in the profound apprehension of God in his majesty. He who believes in God without reserve and is determined that God shall be God to him in his thinking, feeling, and willing in the entire compass of his life activities, intellectual, moral, spiritual, throughout all individual social and religious relations, the force of that logic and the outworking of those principles, the very necessity of the case, will make him a Calvinist. In Calvinism, theism, believing in God, comes to its rights. If you believe there's a God, you believe there's a God of the Bible, and you're consistent in that, if you really believe what the Bible says about God and this high, majestic God, you'll be a Calvinist. That's what he was saying. Um, well, enough of that point. Hopefully today's sermon will, one, further convince you of the glory of Christ and, two, given that, increase your confidence in living, thinking, feeling, doing for God.
Now, where are we going to go in the Bible for this? Okay, we're going to go to the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament. Um, Got to go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Rome. Get all the Paul books, and then Hebrews. And then James would be after Hebrews. And in fact, we're going to look at the first four verses, but we're really just going to look at one phrase in the first four verses. And these are some of the most amazing sentences. It's one sentence. It's, you know, one of the most amazing sentences in the whole Bible. You're going to see at the beginning of verse 3 will be the expression, the radiance of the glory. Uh, you'll see that expression. We'll concentrate on that. Um, but listen to these statement in the Bible. First four verses of the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, 1 through 4. We'll be interested in verse, the beginning of verse 3, but this is an unbelievable sentence in the Bible speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the, by the prophets, but... In these last days, meaning the New Testament time, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. He, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification of sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we be gripped by the glory of the Godhead and more specifically the glory of Christ here today and every day. I pray this in the name of your Son, who is all glory. Amen. Let me give a quick explanation of the first four verses, and then we'll come back to the beginning of verse 3. Let me read the first verse and the beginning of the second verse. Long ago, at many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by the Son. Uh, And there's a rhetorical balancing here, if you picked up on it, long ago, in the last days. Spoke to the fathers, spoke to us. Spoke by prophets, spoke by the Son. And in fact, the main grammatical portion or clause of this whole big long sentence is the verse 2, God spoke to us by his Son. And here you have the idea, God spoke in both the Old and New Testament. God spoke in the Old Testament, and that was good. But God completed that in the New Testament as he spoke by his son, the unique son. Then he says the word son there in the middle of verse 2. Then he says a whole bunch of things about son. And let me read some of those beginning of verse 2, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by his power. After making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. 
He actually goes off on kind of two speeches about Jesus. Uh, the first speech, he kind of does in reverse historical order, where it says he uh, appointed him heir of all things. That's sort of at his ascension. And then he backs up. So he's ascended on high. Then he looks back to eternity past. He was the God who created everything. Then he gets to verse 3. Now he reverses, and now he's going to go in normal, what we would think of normal historical order. So verse 1, or the first point, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, basically saying Jesus is God. And then he goes to Jesus' upholding the universe, his providential abilities. Then he made purification of sins, and then he ascended. And then verse 4 talks about his name higher than the angels. And you're like, why is he bringing that up? Well, then the rest of the chapter is going to show how Jesus is better than the angels. Okay, now let's look at our expression, the beginning of verse 3. He, Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of his or the glory of God. The Son is the radiance of the Father's glory. Now let's think about the word glory for a couple minutes. It's a million places in the Bible, uh, and it has, as we say, in a fancy way, a, a large semantic range, meaning it's a word that is quite broad, and depending on the situation in the sentence you're using, it, it kind of has slightly different uh, meanings. Uh, but it almost starts off, to understand the word, at sort of the center of it, the word glory really means brilliant light. That's sort of the starting point of the glory of God. Brilliant light in a a kind of a metaphorical uh, way. Um, And even notice in our verse 3, the radiance of the glory of God. You can see he's using the light analogy there. It's radiating out the light. Now in Scripture, the Godhead, whole trinity, is often metaphorically pictured in heaven as radiating brilliant, beautiful light. A lot of other things said about God, but one way, just think of it, there's all these verses that talk about God radiating out light. And I'll read a couple of famous ones. Uh, Psalm 104, this, uh, a psalm about God, the, the creator, and it talks, I'll read the first two verses here, Psalm 104, 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Covering yourself with light as a garment. Isaiah 60, verse 1. When I read this verse, I think you'll recognize the verse. 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of God has risen above you meaning people arise, you're going to shine because they reflected the light. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Uh, Mr. Williams had read from Revelation, which has a lot of comments about God and light. And I'll just read one here, a different one than he read. Chapter 4, verse 5, thinking of the throne room. And from the throne, 
for the Trinity is, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. Also, uh, yeah, I was looking for the ARP seal. I was hoping you had it in your bulletin. Big deal, you don't. Okay. In uh, uh, the AR, is there an ARP seal somewhere in this church? Some uh, right behind where? On the chair. Oh yeah, the one you can't see. Okay, <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, 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 well, it's, it's got a Bible and it's got a meta, something of the Old Testament, which is the burning bush light. And then for the New Testament, it has the word Alpha and Omega. And then it has underneath it, in a little ribbon sort of thing, in your light, we see light. From Psalm 36, verse 9. In your light, meaning God, because of your light, we, the ARP church, can see light. So it's a great, there's many great verses in the Bible, and that's one of them. In your light, we see light. Uh, so for sort of the, as far as the metaphor goes, think of lightning and flashes uh, and he's brilliant. You know, you see a bolt of lightning, um, you know, it just has an amazement kind of angle to it. And that's often the metaphor God is using about himself. Uh, and if you think of uh, often when a God shows up, not every single time, but God shows up in uh, biblical scenes, uh, as we call them, theophanies, uh, uh, he shows up as light. Think of Jesus in the transfiguration, and he was brilliant light. Paul on the road to Damascus, uh, a light uh, shone. Now, back to verse 3. The radiance, uh, radiance or brightness refers to sort of light coming out from a source. Uh, so here it says Jesus is the radiance of the glory of the Father. Or to say it another way, book of John, Christ is the light of the world. And whoever has seen him has seen the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ radiates out the glory of the Father in all his aspects. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the invisible Father. So all attributes of the Godhead exist in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Christ's person, specifically his human, his divine nature, radiates out the nature of the Father. A guy named John Calvin, hence the word Calvinists, the radiance in the substance of God is so mighty that it would hurt our eyes. Or the, the lightning thing, say if it came close to you. It, was, it would hurt our eyes. Until it shines on us in Christ. Christ makes the glory of the Father make sense to us. The radiance of the substance of God is so mighty it would hurt our eyes. Until it shines us in Christ. So, many times in the Bible, and here uh, the author of Hebrews uses the metaphor of brilliant light. So we first think of physical beauty and light. Lightning flashes, this, that. You're in a dark area, lights turned on, it's very useful. Then 
he moves the reader to think of Almighty God and all his attributes. So you got physical light, then that makes you think of God and all his attributes. And then finally, the author of Hebrews says, and all those wonderful attributes are connected to Christ. And then interestingly, in verse 3, the radiance of the glory of God, he upholds the universe by his power. And then it says in the middle of 3, after making purification for sins by dying, given the glory and light of God and all those things he can do, and then to say, and he died for us. Part of the amazement of the Christian faith is the glory of God and what he did for us. Uh, A guy named Zwingli in the 1500s, 1523, said about Christ, quoting this verse, uh, Hebrews 1, verse 3, he, Christ, embodies the beauty and image of the Father, according to Hebrews 1, 3, and has let himself be so miserably spit on, mocked, and beaten for our sakes. And that was actually in a shorter little catechism that people would learn. He wanted them to learn. Christ embodies the beauty and image of the Father, according to Hebrews 1.3, and has let himself be so miserably spit on, mocked, and beaten for our sakes. Why don't you take your red, red hymnal and let's look at the Nicene Creed for a second. So go to the back of the hymnal, 846. 846, we said the Apostles' Creed, and very similar is the Nicene Creed. So go to the back of your hymnal, 846. And again, Nicene Creed uh, and Apostles' Creed are very similar. So if you look at the beginning, I'm on page 846. He'll start with God the Father. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible. Okay, now to go to Jesus. And, meaning, and we believe, and in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's going to go through a whole uh, uh, variety of items about Jesus. He was the only begotten Son of God. He was begotten of his Father before all worlds. And here's the line now. Jesus is God of God, and then famously here, light of light. Very God, a very God. Begotten, not made, being of one substance of the Father. Okay, that's all about who Jesus is. And then it goes to the next line about he was the creator. By whom all things were made, just like in the book of Hebrews. And then the wonderful line, who for us, and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit, so forth and so on. Uh, light of God of God, light of light, coming right from our, our text. Jesus is the light of the light. The radiance of the glory of the Father. Modern meaning. Well, how does this mean for us today? Several of these lines are about God as creator and a whole bunch of 
the light related to creation. So when you look out at creation, as I was driving here from Charlotte to the nice, I wasn't in the concrete city in Charlotte, and as I drove between Charlotte and Clover, some nice little areas there uh, to drive by, uh, you look out at creation and the glory of creation, think of what kind of mind and power it took to make all that and then sustain all that. And at least you're getting a glimpse of the glory of the Godhead, the glory of Christ. Consider your personal salvation in the wonderful song the um, choir sang. There's part of your salvation when you were converted. There's part of your salvation now in a different sense. And then there's a different sense of salvation when you get to the new heavens and new earth, new body, perfect soul, and we live forever with the Lamb. And as the book of Hebrews says, there'll be no sun in the recreated world because there'll be the Lamb who is the light. As I said in the beginning, the better one understands God's glory, one's confidence in living for the Lord increases, no matter what the culture says. You know, just ask yourself, do you really believe in God's glory? This verse presented Jesus as the light of the light. Do you really believe that? And do you work that through in your life? Will you render to God what God deserves? If God is really God, you render to him what he deserves no matter the consequences. And due to sin, we don't do this perfectly, okay? But do you render to God, if God is God, do you render to God what he deserves? Back in my sports days, I was mostly a basketball player, but I played some football. Um, and we had this expression, I don't, I don't know if it's still around in the football world, but say there was a coach, and in the analogy, the coach is like God. Uh, it's a coach, and the players like the coach. And we would say, I'd run through a wall for that coach. Any football guys here? There's still a... Okay, you'll tell me later. I'd run through the wall for that coach. And then use that analogy to God. Would you do what God wants you to do? Um, back to our theologian Warfields 100 years ago. He was comparing Lutheranism, which Lutheranism, a lot of good things, and Calvinism or Presbyterianism. And he was commending Lutherans. Lutherans and Calvinists wonderfully ask the important question, what must I do to be saved? Saying, we're both good at that one. And that's a really good question to ask. That's the thing a church needs to teach. What must I do to be saved? But then he said, but Calvinists tend to go a step further and say, how shall God be glorified? In your salvation, he is, but a step further. 
To answer that, Warfield said, you need to begin to center and to end on the vision of God and his glory. And it sets itself before all things to render to God his rights in every sphere of activity. As you well know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, its first question is about glorifying God. What's the chief end or the main ultimate goal of a person is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever because God is all glory. That's why our job is to glorify Him. When we see the glory of God, many implications. One is outside pressures, and there's many in this world, will tend to fade. Why not cut corners at the office? Because you've seen the light of the glory of God in Christ. Why be kind to your annoying neighbor? Because you've seen the light of the glory of God in Christ. Why not be anxious about your finances? And that can be a lot of anxiousness if you're in that situation. You've seen the light, the glory of God in Christ. Why is your local church, this church, worth putting time and effort into? Okay, it's not perfect church, but it's still worth putting your time and effort into because you've seen the light of the glory of God in Christ. Teenagers, young people, why not drift into sinful concerns about your future or parents worrying about your kids' future? For you have seen the light of the glory of God in Christ. Right here in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, you may say, well, I don't believe it, but it does say that he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. Another verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God said, let the light shine out of darkness and is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The same basic point. Revelation 21, which Mr. Williams read, the city has no need of a sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Whereas the Nicene Creed, written in 325 A.D., Christians have been saying the Nicene Creed since 325, which is just matching the Bible, said about Jesus that he is the God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Will you give to Jesus what he deserves through the power of the Holy Spirit? Let us pray. the radiance of the glory of the Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great line that you wrote.
through the writer, the author of Hebrews, about your son. May we, through the Spirit, seeing Jesus, better grasp the Father. May we see the light of light. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.